0: started a few weeks ago in, in 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 3. And last week, we covered verses 9 through 17, and we talked about you are God's building. So let me, let me just read verse 9 to you. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. The previous week, we talked about this reality that you are God's field. And so, when a farmer plants a seed, where does he plant it? Plants it in the field. And When the farmer plants the seed in the field, what is he looking for? An increase of the field or an increase of the seed? He's looking for an increase of the seed. But sometimes, we live our lives as Christians. We're the field, Remember? We are the ground and the seed is planted in us. The purpose of having the seed planted in us is not so that the ground would increase, but so that the seed would increase. But sometimes in our, the way we live and the way we think, we think it's really about us, the ground, and we're trying to bring this increase of the ground. And God is not interested in an increase of the ground. He's in- interested in the increase of the seed. Amen? Amen. So today, we're going to talk about you being God's building. and We started this last week, and this is, was our key verse. You are God's building, and then verse 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me, read, let me just read those three verses, 9, 10, and 11. You are God's field, you are God's building, Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue on through verse 17. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you know that, church? If anyone defiles the temple of God, he will destroy him. God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so last week when we talked about the pattern of work, this truth that we're talking about is that you are God's building. You are God's holy temple. And Christ is the foundation upon which you are built. And so last week, we talked about the pattern of the work. Remember, the pattern of work, the performance of work, and the promise of work. And the pattern of work is the cross. The cross is the pattern for everything in the new creation. The cross stands above everything, and it, it is the, the thing that marks out everything the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes and he says, When I came to you, I came knowing nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And so the pattern of the work is the cross. The building that God is building, this temple that's being built, is built according to the pattern, and the pattern is the finished work of Christ in the cross. Christ is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. He sets the parameters. What sets the parameters of a building? Your foundation does. You pour the foundation and you build according to the parameters of that foundation. You don't build over the foundation. You don't build less than. You build according to that. The cornerstone is set so that everything is square and in alignment. Christ is that foundation and that cornerstone that sets the parameters and determines The right way. God's building. He's adorning a temple. We are that temple. Christ is building His church. What is the church? It's not our buildings. The church is the people of God. You are the church. You, Christian, are the church. We, individually, coming together corporately, we are the body of Christ. We are the building of God. We are the holy temple, we are the church, the the habitation God is building up as a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Amen? We're living stones that He is cutting out and building up for this habitation. And it's all according to the pattern which is found in the cross, in Christ crucified. So let's talk about the performance of work. Who does the work? Who performs the work? All work is done in and through Christ with his body. How many carpenters? How many has ever built a house or a box or a, any? I don't care what it is. Whether you count yourself a carpenter or not, who has ever driven a nail into a board with a hammer? A couple of people? Okay. How did you do that? If I walked up and you were outside your house, and you had a hammer in your hand, and you had a 16-penny a, a nail, and you were driving that nail into that board, would it be fair for me to say if I saw Joshua doing that, out there working on the chicken coop, him and Spencer, and they're on one side, one on one side driving nails, and one on the other side driving nails. And I walked up, and I said, look, there's Joshua driving a nail into his chicken coop. Or there's Spencer driving a nail into his chicken coop. We would understand what? That they probably have a hammer in their hand, and that it's their hand holding the hammer, driving the nail. But we would say, Bill's driving the nail. But Bill doesn't drive the nail apart from his hand, does he? He doesn't. He he didn't drive the nail apart from his arm or his shoulder or his legs or his feet. In other words, Bill's body is working together to drive that nail, right? So Christ has made a promise, Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock, I will build... My church. So if we, Jesus was a carpenter, I wonder if there is an accident. I wonder if that's just a cosmic coincidence that Jesus was a carpenter. You think that was just a cool accident that made, you know, things even? No, it wasn't an accident. You realize Jesus could have been any profession, but he was a carpenter. What does the Bible say? It says that we are God's building. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. But we understand that a man doesn't build something apart from all the members of his body, right? So who is Jesus? The Bible says he's the head and we are the body. Would it be fair to say that we're his hands? and We're his feet? that we're his legs, that we're his arms, that we are the members of his body that enable him to build. Christ is building. If I see Joshua out there driving a nail into his chicken coop, I don't go back and I say, hey, I saw Joshua's hand driving a nail into the chicken coop today. I, don't, I, I just say Joshua was building something. I didn't say, hey, Joshua's fingers and hands were building something. I say Joshua was building something. So when we say Christ is building his church, we understand that he's not building his church apart from us, is he? Because he's the head and we are the body. But we also know that it is Christ who is building the church. Just like it's you directing your hand, your arms, your feet, the hammer you hold in your hand, the nail you put up there. You're directing that. And it's you. And so it's Christ. Christ builds His church. And we build in Him just as my hand builds in me. My hand drives the nail, but but I'm the one building. Christ builds the church, but He uses His body to build it. So who else builds? Who else performs the work of building? Paul says in verse 10, look at verse 10, another... According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. So we have Christ building His church. We have another building also. So who are some that build? Ephesians 4.11 says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are gifts that Christ gave to the church for the work of ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4.11. So we have another who builds. I'm a pastor and my calling is to equip you. That's part of the building process. Just like you can go to Home Depot, right? And you can take a class on how to lay tile. You can take a class on how to build a storage shed. You can take a class on doing all kinds of things. So they have experts there who can teach you how to do those things, right? They're not going to go to your house and build it for you unless you pay them to do that. But, But you can go there and take that class, and they can teach you. So you come here to be equipped for the work of ministry, but the point of being equipped is that you go out and you do the work of ministry. So my responsibility is to equip you to do the work of ministry, your responsibility is to take that equipping knowledge and then to go out and do the work of ministry. Well, how do we define the work of ministry? We could define it in a lot of ways, but we can boil it down to what Jesus told his church to do. Go into all the nations and make disciples. That's what he commanded us, commissioned us to do. So the work of ministry must revolve around the mandate that Jesus gave his church, which was to go and make disciples. So if I was going to say, okay, I'm going to teach you, let's just talk real practically, say I'm an expert tile guy. I'm not. I I don't know how to lay tile. I've never tried to lay tile. But let's just pretend, okay, that I'm an expert tile guy. And I say, I'm going to teach you how to lay tile. And I teach you how to lay tile. And I give you a, a course, and you, you become pretty comfortable with doing t- Now you can go out and you can lay tile. You might not do it professionally, right? But But you know what you need, and the more you do it, the more proficient you're going to become at it, right? And so discipleship is not something that comes automatic. Disciples are made and we make disciples so that disciples can go out and be disciples and in turn make other disciples. So Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to do ministry, he says, freely you have received, freely give. So you come and you are equipped each week. You hear the preaching of the Word. But if that's the only time that you ever spend in the Word, if that's the only time you ever spend learning and and taking the Word and building yourself up, it'd be just like if you went and spent a Saturday morning at Home Depot in a class and thought that you were going to leave there and be an expert. And you went to that class every week, but you never did anything. You never actually built anything. You never actually did anything except you just kept going to class and you kept hearing the expert talk about how to do this, but you never go out and you never do it. What would be the point? There would be no point. It would be wasted time, wouldn't it? What's the point of you coming and being equipped so that you can go out and perform the work that God has called us to do, which is to make disciples? So Christ builds His church We see another builds, but in reality, we all build, don't we? So let's continue on here. So verse 12, now if anyone, now we've gone from, Paul says, I am a master builder, and another builds, and now he says, if anyone builds. Do you see the expansion here? We have Christ, we have others, now we have anyone In other words, we all build. So you might say, well, are you saying, pastor, that I don't don't have to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher in, in, in order to do the work of ministry? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying because that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. Pastor is my vocation. It's my calling from God. But we as believers are all called to do the work of ministry. We are all called to be disciples and therefore we are all called to go and make disciples. So we all build, if anyone builds, and he goes on and he continues, look at verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. So, Anyone in each one indicates that we are all, as believers, called to do this work of building up the body of Christ. We are the saints doing the work of ministry that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4.12. Let's go over there. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Turn over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4.11, you'll see that he himself, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why did he give them, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry? For the edifying, that word edify, to edify means to build up. For the edifying means for the building up of the body of Christ, So, Paul's talking about building. Why did he give some to equip others? He did that for the building up of the body. Why did he send you out to do the work of ministry? Because in doing the work of ministry, you are building up the body. That we should no longer be children. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. What is our point? Our point is that we may grow up into Him. Can any of you remember, fathers, you remember the first time you saw your children with a little toy tool set and they're trying to hammer? Not real proficient at it, are they, when they're little? But then, the more they do it, the more they use it, just like all of us with anything, the more proficient we become. That's a growing up. That's a maturing. Paul says, you need to be growing up in the Christ in all things. We need to learn how to speak the truth in love. We need to know the truth in order to be able to speak the truth, right? And so, there's this process. Verse, look at verse 16. From whom? Christ is the head. So it's from the head, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So let's go back to our simple picture of a man or woman with a hammer in their hand driving a nail in a board. We could not even begin to count the number of body parts and processes that are taking place just for a person to do the simple act, what we call a simple act of driving a nail into a board. And this is the picture that Paul is painting here in Ephesians. From the head, all things are joined together. And in this joining together by what every joint supplies, how is my hand gripping the hammer? Well, there, there are joints supplying strength and ability just to grip a hammer, much, not, 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 not even to speak of the coordination it takes to do this and hit that small head of the nail. But do you see all the body joined together, working together, sharing together? He says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What happens? It causes growth of the body for the edifying, there's that word again, edifying, for the building up of itself in love. So Christ promised to build His church, right? But in Ephesians 4.16, we see that it is the body itself that is also participating in the work of building. What is the direction that the body is being built? The direction is up. For the building up, for the edifying of itself in love. We're being built in a direction, it's up. And there's a way in which we're being built for the building up of itself, he says, in love. So Christ builds, another builds, we All build. The body builds itself up in love, Ephesians 4.16. So who performs the work? Christ does. But he does not perform that work apart from us. He has, by grace, made us apart. He has caused us to be joined to him as members of his body in his life. And he utilizes us the work of building his church. But when it's all said and done, who's going to get the glory? He is, because he is the one building. It's understood if we build something. If a man builds a house, we say to that man, you did a fantastic job, it's beautiful. But we understand that there was much involved, but ultimately it is that man who is going to receive the glory for building his house. Christ is the one that's going to receive the glory. We are just the fingers, the hands, the joints, the ligaments, the muscles. We are the body part. We're part of it, but we have no glory apart from Him. And He is the one who receives the glory for the work of building this holy temple. So the performance of work, the pattern of work is the cross. The performance of the work, it's performed by Christ and by His body. So let's talk about the promise of the work. So Christ has promised to build His church, and that promise spills over into our lives in the work, in the reward, and in the security we have in our salvation. So part of our salvation is, We're not saved just so we can go to heaven one day. We're saved because there's a work to be done in the earth, right? We're not going to be doing the work of making disciples in heaven one day. We're called to do the work of making disciples in the earth right now. And so we're saved for the present time to do the work that God's called us to do. We're not just saved so we can enjoy life and get to heaven one day. That's not the point of our salvation. The point of our salvation, just like the point of God giving us hands, is so that we could actually do things, that we can be productive. Otherwise, He wouldn't have designed our bodies the way He did. He designed our bodies the way He did because He knew and He purposed that there is work to be done. And He's going to get the glory for the work that's going to be done, but He has also chosen in His eternal wisdom not to do that work apart from us. And so if we're a part of the work, if we're part of performing the work, what is the promise that the work holds for us? So let's go and let's look at these verses. Let's let's go back up to verse 8, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. Look at this verse where Paul says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Ah, this is a principle, okay? There's a principle that the scripture is revealing to us. Some water and some plant. And, And Paul says the one who waters and plants is one. Why does he say that? Two different tasks, two different people are doing the task, but he says they're one. Why does he say that? He says that because he, he, he tells us up back in verse 6, he said, look, I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the increase. So he who plants is not anything, and he who waters is not anything. It's God who gives the increase. That's where the glory goes. So we go back to who's the builder? Who's going to get the glory for the building? The builder is. Who's the builder? Christ is the builder. He's going to ultimately get the, the glory for the building. Did someone plant and did someone water? Yes, and those are vital tasks, but he says, look, the one who plants and the one who water really is not anything. It's God who brings the increase. God makes the corn grow. God makes the seed sprout. God brings the increase and multiplies that increase. So who gets the glory? God gets the glory because he's the one that made it grow, right? But we're not left out. So Paul says, look, he said, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So what does that tell us? that tells us that there is a reward for the work that we are called to do. So, the promise of the work, Christ has promised to build His church, and this promise spills over into our lives, and there is a reward for our work. So, our reward is in our work. Okay? Verse 14 also, if anyone works, look at verse 14, verse Corinthians 3, if anyone works, If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Now, in 10 minutes, I don't have time to go into all this, but but there's a lot that this verse reveals to us. I mean, number one, it reveals if his work endures. That that reveals to us that there will be work done that will not endure. And, And the next verse goes right into that. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What does that teach us? What does verse 15 teach us? Verse 15 teaches us that there is a reward for our work, but if our work was not worthy and it it went through the refiner's fire and it burned up instead of being refined, we're not going to lose our salvation. Why? Because our salvation is not based on our work. We may not get the reward, the same reward as the person who built with gold, silver, and precious stone, but we're not going to lose our salvation because our salvation is not based on our work, our reward. There are rewards. Our rewards are based on our work, but our salvation is not based on our work. So as we work in the works that God has prepared for us, hold your place there, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. How do we know that God has prepared works for us? Well, because the Bible teaches us that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Now, here's where we need to understand something. I have lots of good ideas, right? I do, I promise you. Ask my wife. I have lots of good ideas. But just because I have a good idea doesn't necessarily mean it's a God idea, okay? Let's just think of it that way. We all have lots of good ideas, but they're not necessarily God ideas, I mean, I, we could come up with all kinds of ideas, you know, in the world, would say, yeah, man, that's a great idea. That's a good idea. The only problem is it may not be a God idea. And, and how do we first and foremost know whether it's a God idea or not? Well, we go first and foremost to the Scripture, and we, we find out what the Word says. And we can eliminate a whole lot of, you know, a, we can just eliminate a whole lot of wasting time just by going to the scripture and say, oh, there it is right there. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to say, well, well, what? No, no what ifs, no ifs, ands, or buts. The scripture can clearly tell me whether it's a good idea or a God idea. And if it's not a God idea, ultimately, guess what? It's not a good idea either. Okay? So there are good things, good works that we can do in and of ourselves, right? And, And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But... Let's go to a deeper level here, and let's look at Ephesians 2.10. Well, let's look at verse 8. We all, verse 8, this is a scripture we quote a lot. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You were saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. You didn't save yourself. It wasn't your work that saved you, okay? It was the gift of God. A gift is not earned. A gift is not something you buy. A gift is not something you work for. Rewards are things you work for. Gifts are not. Gifts are freely given, no strings attached. Rewards are the results of something you did. Okay? Not of works, verse 9, lest anyone should boast. So we can say with Paul, we have nothing to boast in except the cross of Christ because that's the only work that counts. Ultimately for us, when it's all said and done. Verse 10, look at this. For we are His workmanship created in Christ. I would just really encourage you to dwell on that. Not right now, just listen to me. But when you get home, take some time and begin to dwell on what God is saying. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you know your body was created to work? How do we know? Just look at how it was created. The human body is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. We were created for good work. Now, I'm just talking about, I'm not just talking about manual labor here, okay? But we can say even in the design of our bodies, we see that God designed us for work. Well, what work did God design us for? What work did God create us for? If we are created If we are His workmanship created in Christ and for good works, then what are the works that God created us for? They're the works that, look at verse 10, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the works we should be walking in? They're the works that God prepared beforehand. What can we lump those works into? Well, we can just lump them into this category that says, we were created for the work of ministry. We were created for the building up of the body. We were created to be and to make disciples of the nations. We were created, we were given a mouth to be able to proclaim the gospel. We were given ears to be able to listen to and hear so that we will know what to proclaim and when to proclaim, and how to proclaim. We were given hands so that we could lift up the downcast. We were given feet so that we could go, therefore, so we could lump the work that we're called to do. Let's just lump it into this commission we call the Great Commission. It all revolves around the building up of the body and the building of the kingdom of God. Now, you might be a doctor, a lawyer, a, 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 a a ditch digger, my dad dug ditches for a living. You know, I don't know what you are, but but whatever you are, God gifted you to be able to do the work that you do because in the work that you do, God has a purpose and a plan in you doing that work. And, and that purpose and plan is not centered in you. It's centered in His purpose. It's centered in His will. It's centered in bringing about what He is building and what He is establishing. And so there's a reward in our work. And God has prepared work for us to do and to walk in. And as we walk in the works that he has prepared for us, he's promised reward. What I believe, we go back to 1 Corinthians. So we know in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. I believe the people in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, whose work was burned up, they walked in their own works, in their own good ideas, maybe having the best intentions possible. But when it was all said and done, what happened to their good works? They were burned up because they were not the works that God had prepared for them to walk in. I told a group yesterday, because I read this somewhere and I thought it was really good. One of the greatest enemies of truth is assumption. Do you realize that? One of the greatest enemies of truth is assumption. If you go through life assuming that you already know, I'm talking to you about the gospel and you say, well, I already know that. Assumption is one of the greatest hindrances to the truth. And I think a lot of people go through life assuming that what they're doing is good and godly, but perhaps they haven't taken time to measure it against the Scripture, to take it to the Lord in prayer and see if their good ideas and their good works are really what God would have them do. And Paul reveals that in the day of judgment, there's coming a day when everyone, each man's work is going to be tested by the fire. And those who are in Christ, truly born again, we may find that a lot of our works get burned up, though we're going to be saved. Because we're not saved by works. Remember Ephesians 2.8-10, it was by grace. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. But yet we're going to see that perhaps we will not receive the same rewards for the works that we do. So there is a reward in our work. Let's talk about this other promise that's that's really the most important promise. It is our salvation. There is a promise associated with work. So there's reward, but ultimately... Our salvation is not based on our work. Our salvation is based on His finished work in the cross. This is why some can lose their reward yet still be saved. You're not working for your salvation, Jesus has already finished the work of your salvation. You're not trying to live a holy life so that you can have the guarantee of heaven. If you are in Christ, you already have the guarantee of heaven. And you should be living a holy life because that is now your life and your nature. And you should live and manifest according to your kind, just like every seed reproduces after its own kind. That's why when we plant an apple seed in the ground, we know we're going to get apples from the tree that grows there. We don't have to guess about that. Listen, if the seed of God's word has been planted in the good soil of our heart, There should never be any question what kind of fruit is going to come out. Now, can there still be weeds there? Can there still... Yeah, we're not perfect, right? But if we look at our life over the course of time, we should see that there was a planting, there was a watering, there was an increase that God brought, and there will ultimately be a fruitfulness that will come because the seed is good, the ground is good, the root is good. And God the Father, the vine dresser, knows how to bring the increase. He knows how to make the branch fruitful, and he will do it. Jesus promised this in Matthew 7. Every good tree produces good fruit. So if you're a good tree, you will produce good fruit. You might do it at a different rate than somebody else. This is why Paul says it's unwise for us to compare ourselves to one another. Well, how come, how come I'm not as mature as, as so-and-so over there? Well, stop comparing yourself to them. Because you can look at any kind of tree and know that trees mature at different rates and their rates of fruitfulness vary. But we do know that if we're good trees, we're going to produce some fruit. So our salvation is in His work, finished in the cross. And remember, what is the cross? The cross is not just His death. The cross is His death death. His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension to glory. So when we use the term cross, that's what the cross means. The cross didn't stop at the death of Jesus. The cross speaks of the ultimate ascension of Jesus to glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose name is above all name, whose power is above all power, whose authority is above all authority. Amen? So we are saved by the finished work of Christ. Let me read to you John 17.4. This is Jesus' prayer just prior to His arrest and crucifixion as He prays for the church. John 17.4. Jesus says, I have glorified you. He's praying to His Father in heaven. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me. Me to do. And now, O Father, I think I wrote the wrong scripture down there. I am so sorry. Let me find my place here. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. There's a scripture here. Let's go on down to verse 9. Jesus is praying there for his disciples. In verse 9 he says this, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, all and all mine are yours, and yours mine, and I am glorified in them. How is Jesus glorified? He's glorified in us. It reminds us of John 15, when Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He says, I finished the work that you sent me to do. And Father, yours are mine and mine are yours. Who do you belong to today? Who do you belong to today? Do you belong to God? If you are in Christ, you belong to God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the last thing that Paul states in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, you are God's possession. We're going to talk about the reality of you being God's possession. And in that prayer in John 17, just before Jesus goes to the garden to be arrested, he says, Father, all are mine, yours are mine, and mine are yours. And he says, I pray for them. And later on, he says, I not only pray for them, but I pray for those who will believe in me through my disciples. That's all of us, church. We have come to believe in him Because those disciples went out and they did the work of ministry. You realize that? Those disciples went out and they made disciples. And somehow, anybody ever research a family tree here? Do you realize that if we want to just talk spiritually, how did you come to be in this room today? Somehow, way, you came to be in this room today if we could, and we can't, but God knows. We could trace our spiritual roots back to someone. Let's just take it back to the 120 that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Chances are that all of us are somehow, some way, linked to the 120 disciples who were in the room, the upper room, on the day of Pentecost. What does that tell us? That tells us that those guys came out of that room, they went out into the world in obedience and they did the work of ministry. So my question is, should the Lord tarry? If the Lord tarries, let's just say if the Lord tarries another hundred years, just bear with me, I know some of you don't believe he will, but let's just say that he does. A hundred years from now, Who is going to be sitting in a church, in a house, hearing the gospel, reading the gospel, living the gospel, because you went out and you did the work of ministry. And you, as a disciple, made a disciple. And that person could link their spiritual lineage right back to you because you obeyed the call of God upon your life to do the work of ministry. Not because you were a pastor, not because you were a teacher, but because you are a Christian. Your vocation has nothing to do with it. God, understand this, God's given you your vocation because that's the, that's the thing He's chosen, the avenue He's going to work through. Listen, we need, if we were all pastors, the world wouldn't function very good, would it? It wouldn't. So God doesn't call everyone to be a pastor, but He calls all believers to be disciples and to make disciples. So in every sector, in every vocation of life, we need disciples. Amen? And we need those disciples making other disciples. So we're called. How did Paul say? He said, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid... The foundation. How did he describe himself as a master builder? This is the call upon our lives, church, that we be master builders, that we build masterfully. So the call is to build on truth, in truth, and according to truth, in divine order, in love. The call is to know that we are a holy temple in the Lord being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you know that? God's not building some rock structure somewhere. You are the living stones. He himself is cutting out of that mountain that's filling the earth, and you are being assembled together as the living stones that are becoming God's dwelling place in the Spirit. The pattern is not according to our work but it's according to Christ and his finished work in the cross God cares about us as living stones that he is taking cutting out and taking and placing in their proper place so that this building comes together and functions and performs exactly the way God desires it to And God has promised to guard it and to protect it against those who would defile it. And there's there's a strict warning given, a, a huge warning given, to those who would teach doctrines that are false, that would defile and tear down the body of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 17. He's giving a warning. And that warning should bring security and safety to us. It should make us feel safe and secure. That God cares about us enough that He would give that dire warning to those who would try to come in and defile His temple and tear it down. First Peter 2.5 You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He made this declaration, a sure promise, Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, upon this revelation of truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a promise Jesus makes to each one of us as His church, as His holy temple. Amen. My question to you is, do you know that you are one of those living stones that was cut out without hands? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting Him, not your own ability, not your works, hoping that one day when you stand before him, he's going to let you into heaven. Because if that's what you're trusting, and I'm I'm just going to save you the trouble right now, you have no hope in that. There is no hope in that. Because the only work, the only work you can trust in is the work Christ finished on the cross. That is it. You might lose every reward you were ever hoping to get, but if you're trusting in his finished work, you're going to come in and you will have eternal life, not because you earned it and not because you deserved it, because you do not. And this is why in Revelation we see the picture of those who cast their crowns before the Lamb. Because I can promise you this, whatever reward you receive in that day you get to glory, you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only way you were able to get that reward was by the grace of God because of what Christ has done. You will take no glory in your reward. You will give Him all the glory because that is where the glory belongs. Amen. If you're here, I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal and I'm going to pray for the food and if you're here and you want to talk about Jesus Christ, about whether you are or whether you are not trusting Him for your salvation, I would love to visit with you. Amen. And if you'd like prayer for anything, I would like to do that as well.